Today's scripture reading is found in 2 Samuel. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no one holy like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversaries shall be shattered, the Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What I want to remind you of today is that the Christmas message is revolutionary. It's revolutionary. Now, I don't want that to be a scary word. I want it to be a hopeful word for us today, because Christmas is, above all, about hope. But it is hope about a world put right, and that means a world very different than the one that we live in. Christmas is about God taking what is wrong and putting it right, which requires so much change to the world around us that I think we can call it revolutionary. Too often we have tamed Christmas, made it about something softer and sweeter and easier to swallow than what it's really all about. I'm so grateful for that song that Gretchen sang for us because it reminds us of this powerful revolutionary message. And really, thank goodness that we have the women of Scripture. Her song was about Mary. Thank goodness we have the women of Scripture to help us remember the fullness and the power of what Christmas really is. You may or may not have ever thought about this, but women get kind of short shrift in the Bible. Now, I don't say that angrily. It's just a fact. The Bible gives preference to men. The Bible was written by men. It was edited by men. For most of its history, it was read only by men. And until very recently, it was preached only by men. 
And not only were women excluded in the writing and the preaching, most of the men who were doing that writing and the reading and the preaching, they lived in a time when, <coughs> when women were thought to be inferior human beings, which is obviously not true. And so the men neglected to tell very many stories about women and God. They focused instead on men. An illustrative piece of data for me about this. How many different women do you think are given names in the Bible? How many times are there stories in the Bible about women and they're talked about by name, as in someone remembered them as an actual person instead of just calling them a widow or a prostitute or a sick person that has no name? How many women get names in the Bible? What's your guess? The answer is just under 300, like 290 women we know by name in the Bible. The Bible's a big book, so there's room for 290. But by contrast, how many men do you think are given names? How many male characters do we know about and have recorded by name? You have a guess? The answer is 2,100. 2,100. 290 women get names in the Bible, 2,100 men. So anyway, women get short shrift. But then there are these moments, despite all the focus on men, there are these moments when the testimony of women just breaks through. In these wonderful and surprising places, women get to be the ones to testify to God's greatness. They break through all that focus on men and they get to be the examples of the faith. They get to be the ones that teach us about who God is. And we have two examples of that today, examples that echo each other, though they're a thousand years apart. First, I want to tell you about Hannah. Now, her song is the one that Penny read for our scripture today. Hannah is the mother of Samuel. <coughs> and we find her story at the beginning of the book, 1 Samuel. In case you don't quite remember, Samuel is a prophet in ancient Israel, and he's really important because he's the prophet who chooses both King Saul who's the first king in all of Israel, and then later Samuel chooses King David, the greatest king in all of Israel. So Saul, or Samuel, he was kind of a, a miracle baby in, in himself. Hannah, his mother, had a very hard time conceiving. She prayed so fervently in the temple for a child. Uh, she prayed so fervently that the priest, a, a man named Eli, actually came and saw her, and he thought she was drunk and told her to go home. She wasn't drunk. She was just earnest. She was desperate, actually. She couldn't go to the fertility clinic. The only recourse she had was prayer. Some of you have wished and waited and wanted a baby that badly. You understand the struggles of infertility. You know the pain of miscarriage. Hannah was in the middle of all that. And then, miraculously, her prayers were answered, and she became pregnant with Samuel. I wonder, what did you do when you found out you were pregnant? I haven't had this experience, uh, but most of you have. Either you yourself or your partner living in your house had a moment when they found out, you found out they were pregnant. So how did you react? Do you remember? What did you do? I'm guessing not many of you did what Hannah did, which was she sang a song. <laughs> she sang a song all about the things that God is doing in the world. It's kind of unusual, but that's what she did. 
She sang a song, and we have that song of thanksgiving and praise, the scripture reading for today. And in the song, Hannah makes this claim that God is doing something revolutionary in the world, that what was upside down is being put right. Just listen again to a few key lines from her song. She says, the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. She's saying people that have military power, the ones in charge most likely, they've had their power taken away. Their bows have been snapped. And the weak ones, the ones with no power, they're given strength. The ones who had more than enough to eat, they're scrounging around for food. But the hungry, they have their fill. She also says, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit the seat of honor. Do you hear this bold proclamation she's making, this giant reversal? She says, the ones who were forgotten or left out, they've been remembered. The ones who were struggling, they've been given their fill by God. And the ones who hoarded, the ones who cared only for themselves, the ones who focused on their riches and their power, they've been brought low. This is the song that Hannah sings in joy over her pregnancy. She's saying the gift of her child is a fulfillment <laughs> of all the mighty things that God is doing in the world. And what God is doing in the world is bringing justice and bringing hope. Okay, so that's Hannah and her kid Samuel. But I hear you saying, Amy, this is Advent. This is Advent. This is a time for Jesus and his mother Mary. True, true. Okay, so let's spend just a moment with Mary. All the Gospels agree that Jesus had a mother named Mary, but they don't all treat her with the same seriousness. Thank goodness for Luke. Thank goodness for the Gospel of Luke, and we get this beautiful picture of who Mary is. Preaching professor James Kay reminds us that Mark... Gospel of Mark, he skips the birth of Jesus altogether. And Mark's Jesus seems kind of indifferent to his mother when she shows up with his brothers in chapter 3 of that gospel. As for Matthew, Mary's there, but she's mute. Not a word leaves her lips. He says she's present, but silent as the night in a certain beloved carol. For his part, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he thinks it's worth remarking that Jesus was born of a woman, but he never bothers to mention her name. But Luke, Luke remembers Mary, and in his gospel, she does not keep silent. Luke's Mary has something and someone to sing about. It's true, Luke's Mary, she has someone to sing about, and that someone is Jesus. She's told by the angel Gabriel that she's pregnant, or she would become pregnant, and also that her relative Elizabeth, who we talked about last week, Elizabeth and Zechariah, that Elizabeth was six months pregnant. So after that moment of annunciation, Mary rushes down to see Elizabeth. The scripture says she makes haste, at least as much haste as you can make when you're traveling 80 miles by walking. When she got to Elizabeth's house, the baby inside Elizabeth kicked her hard, or as Elizabeth said, she, he leapt for joy, causing Elizabeth to shower all these blessings on Mary. And Mary, in turn, there in Luke chapter 1, Mary sings a song of praise to God. She sings a song of wonder about what's happened to her, a song of joy about God's amazing acts. 
Now, surprisingly, the song that Mary sings is not actually about her baby. It's not about what he's going to do or what he's going to be like. Did she know? I don't know. But instead of singing about the life of her son, Mary sings about God and what God has accomplished. And if we look closely at what Mary sings, we're going to find it sounding familiar. She says, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. Mary is saying that God has reversed the order of the world. Those who were high have been brought low. Those who were poor and hungry and low have been raised up and filled. God has reversed the order of the world. You might remember Jesus himself said something like this later on. He said the first will be last and the last will be first. That's the way of the kingdom of God. I wonder, did, did he learn such things sitting on his mother's knee? Did she learn it by hearing the song of Hannah sung and celebrated in worship? God has reversed the order of the world by bringing this Savior as a baby. That's the truth to which Hannah testified a thousand years before Jesus as her baby prepared the way for the kings of Israel. And it's Mary's truth as she praises God for the gift of a son and how he's going to change the whole world. Mary and Hannah too, remember These are songs sung by women who are not mighty or powerful or rich. Mary sings of this good news of God as someone who's poor, who's unmarried, who's pregnant, who's young. She has no power. She has no standing in the world. She probably had very few possessions. She was vulnerable. She was defenseless. Yet she proclaims to us that God has changed the entire order of the world and that what we think is on top is actually on bottom. And those that we think are lowest and last are actually lifted up by God. I I hope that as we've been considering these two songs of these faithful women, that you are hearing the tension between the message about God found in Hannah and Mary's songs and the way we often package together the Christmas message. When we talk about this as a season of peace and hope and love and joy, And it is all those things, but I think in a lot of ways we we tend to mean that in a very gentle, a very soft and sweet way. Embedded in these women's songs is peace and hope and love and joy, but it is the kind of peace and hope and love and joy that recognizes the problems of the world and proclaims God's power to make those problems right. The women are not singing about a peace and a hope that simply covers over the problems, kind of like a a fresh blanket of snow covers over grimy streets. They're singing about a peace and a hope that expects God's will to be done in the world. They're singing about a joy and a love that will help the world be a place where everyone has enough, where the powerless are not cast aside, where everybody's voices are valued. They're singing about the kind of world where CEOs don't make hordes of money while their employees file for food stamps. They're singing about the kind of world where people don't fear for their lives because of the color of their skin. They're singing about the kind of world where children don't go to bed hungry. 
My question for us, as we hear again these Christmas songs, these testimonies of Hannah and Mary in the year 2020, the question is how are we going to inhabit this revolutionary Christmas message? How do we let Hannah and Mary inspire us as we celebrate what God has done in the gift of Christmas, especially in this very weird year of 2020? You know, when I, when I think about the revolutionary message of Christmas, how, how God sees and remembers and cares for the lowest, the suffering, the empty, when I think about that message and I think about the pandemic, I think, I wonder if the pandemic has actually given us an invitation to embrace this message in a whole new way. Chances are your December calendar looks different this year than it has in years past. I was thinking yesterday about how in a, <coughs> excuse me, in a normal year, I would right now have my head full of all this Christmas music because we would be about ready to sing a Christmas cantata and the music rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed would be so inside of me, it would be stuck in my head. But instead of spending hours of time singing Christmas music with the choir these last weeks, all I've done to prepare musically for Christmas Eve is I spent half an hour recording my little part on my phone for the virtual choir we're going to have on Christmas Eve, which is awesome, and I'm so glad we can do that. But what a different experience. There are no parties on my calendar right now. I'm trying to think about how many gifts can I actually buy online so I don't have to go shopping. And at this point, if and when... Matt and I are even going to see our families, it's very much in question. So it's, it's all different. Which means, it means we have some space. We have some space this year to do Christmas differently. <coughs> we have space this year to be inspired by the songs of Hannah and of Mary and let them lead us in our Christmas celebrations. You may have seen this meme floating around social media saying that during this pandemic, we're not all in the same boat. We are all in the same storm. But some of us are riding this storm out in big sturdy boats. There's even some folks that are doing it on big fancy yachts. Other people are trying to weather the storm of this pandemic in small kayaks or unstable canoes. A question for you then, for me, is what can we do in these next three weeks to reach out to somebody whose boat is small and rickety to help them weather the storm. Remembering the song of Mary and of Hannah, what can you do, what can I do to live out this truth that the lowly are lifted up and the hungry are filled with good things? Church, you've already been generous in so many ways uh, by giving food and toys just a reminder that we're taking a special Advent offering so we can give $50 Hy-Vee gift cards to all the families that we, to whom we distribute diapers in December and January. So you could give some money to that or to the diaper pantry in general so we can continue giving diapers through 2021. You could also do something like take time to bless your neighbors uh, this, in, a, in some way this Christmas, especially, especially if you know there's someone in your neighborhood who lives alone or who's lost a job, or who's quarantined. Someone who might be lonely or struggling with their mental health. Don't just take them cookies this year. Why don't you cook them dinner? Show up on their doorstep with enchiladas or lasagna and tell them, I just wanted to make your week a little easier. 
Maybe this year you could actually send Christmas cards. Not just pretty photos of all the places you've been this year because, well, we haven't been any place, right? But actually sit down and write a card to your friends and your family, telling them about how much you care for them and how glad you are to be connected to them. What I'm saying is we have space this year to do Christmas differently. What can we do to help Mary's great song about God's reversal to become true? May Mary inspire us. May God guide us as we celebrate this most unusual Christmas. Amen. Amen.